If you've got a Bible, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say, testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened as their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, so to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, to understand this passage, we've got to look just a few verses before at the beginning of chapter 4, because verse 1 and verse 17, which we just read, they connect together. So let me read for you verse 1. Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, remember the Apostle Paul is writing this letter because he's in prison for preaching Jesus, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness. Walk in a way that's worthy of what you've been called, which is a Christian, follower of Jesus. And I was thinking about that this week. You may have heard we have a new president, his name is Donald J. Trump, and uh, everybody's been wondering, he's a week into his presidency, uh, would the Trump of campaigning, of years and years of business, be the same Trump of the presidency? Which is to say, will Trump walk in a manner, says our hope, a manner worthy of the title to which he's been called President of the United States, right? That's one of the questions. Will it change him, the title that he now has, the position that he now holds? That's exactly what Paul is saying here. But how confident can we be or should we be? Now, I'm, I'm hopeful. In fact, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, but it does change him. But how confident can we be that a title or position changes the actual person? Because here's the deal. He's the same person as he was before he became president. He hasn't become a brand new person. So, we can hope, we can pray that the weight of the position will change perhaps move off maybe some of edges that some of us might think are rough, but it's the same person. So now Paul is saying to Christians, okay, I want you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your new calling, which is as a representative of Jesus Christ. Now if you understand the way God's plan works is that human beings are meant to represent him in the world and represent his son Jesus so that when people look at us, they see Christ. This is the calling to which, if you're following Jesus, you have been called. And Paul says, walk in a manner worthy of that. 
And at this point, you should, you should feel the weight of that calling, a weight of that title that you've been given as representative of Christ. And you should be worrying and wondering to yourself, how is it possible that I can walk in a manner worthy of that calling, worthy of being identified with Jesus Christ? Well, you should have no confidence at all if you plan on remaining the exact same person that you were prior to becoming a Christian. Because you won't be able to do it. You'll be a disgrace to the title of Christian. Bible actually teaches us, and I've actually experienced it myself, that when we undergo conversion, when we go, for instance, from being an agnostic, or an atheist, or a Hindu, or a Buddhist, to becoming a Christian, when, we act, when that actually happens to us, we don't stay the same person. In fact, the Bible teaches us that something happens to us in which we experience new life. The Bible will say we're actually reborn, and we are not the same person that we were before, which then gives us the confidence to say, I think I might be able to do this. We'll explain, we'll get there. Because we are reborn. Now how does this happen? Turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Gospel of John, chapter 3. Just going to be that much. Turn to your Bible. Not far. The Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is written to account for the life of Jesus, his death, and then his resurrection. And in the Gospel of John, we encounter a scene in which a religious teacher from Israel, a Pharisee, sort of the highest um, cloth, if you will, of the religious society, goes out in the middle of the night and finds Jesus and hopes to ask Jesus, because he's been watching all the things that Jesus has been doing, to ask him how someone actually receives eternal life. So, in John chapter 3, we're going to pick up right in verse 1, and we're going to read this account, okay? It's going to tell us this idea that is consistent throughout the New Testament of being reborn, a new person actually coming onto the scene when we accept Jesus. So, verse 1 says this, Now there was a man who was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher, come from God, because of your miracles, because of these signs that you do. No one can do those signs unless God is with them. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see what's happening here is, Nicodemus doesn't ask him directly, are you the Messiah, the Savior? But that's what he's getting at. Are you the one come from God? 
Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus continues, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Don't you know the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes? So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Well, Nicodemus is obviously quite confused at this point, as many of us are when we first hear this teaching about being born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If, you told, uh, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Remember our conversation about mystery two weeks ago. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you have to be born again if you want to experience eternal life, if you want salvation. And the way it happens, or the reason it can happen, is because there has somehow been this heavenly exchange that has occurred when Jesus was lifted up on the cross and the penalty for all our sins was placed upon Jesus. And then, when, we, when He rose from the grave on the third day, He made it possible for all those whose penalty on the sin was taken to also rise again to new life, just like He did by beating death, sin, and the enemy of God. And he says, if you believe that, you too can experience new life. The old can be remade by the new. And this is the result. And this is what's so interesting because we're about to read the most famous passage in the Bible, John 3.16. But many of us don't understand the context of which it comes. So I'm going to read John 3.16 in which Jesus now explains the result of everything that he's just said about new birth, about him being lifted up on the cross, that he then makes this possible. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then we never read after it either. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Sound familiar to what Paul has to say? Now here's what's so interesting about John 3.16. When we hear it, we tend to think, whoever believes can experience eternal life. But having read the pretext to John 3.16, what must we also say? That believing isn't just an intellectual assent to some true facts about Jesus, but that it goes way deeper than that. That actually, all those whom God loved that are saved by believing have also experienced a rebirth. And only they will experience eternal life right alongside God forever to come. You see that? And the reason I highlight the difference between just believing and actually being reborn, which the Bible teaches, only those who are reborn will experience eternal life is because this New life is required for life with God. Because a new person must be born, the same person cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. So it's not just about changing your favorite religion or, or, or changing maybe what you believe about Jesus. You have to be reborn by the Spirit. And I believe many Christians around the world today think that they believe but have never experienced this rebirth. have never experienced the new person being born by the Spirit of God in them. I think that's why, as we'll see, many of them do give a bad name to Christ. Because they cannot walk in a worthy manner of, uh, uh, in a manner worthy of Him. There's no way. Because they're the same person trying to do new things and they can't do it. And so they let Christ down. And then people say, I don't even want to consider Jesus. Because look at those Christians. They're just like everybody else and probably they're worse. Because they've never been born again. So now, let's explore this difference. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Let's explore this difference uh, between what I'm going to now call and what Paul calls the old self and the new self, okay? There is a difference between the old self and the new self. A new person has been born for those of us who have accepted Christ, surrendered, and allowed the Spirit to reinvigorate us and, and make us into a new person. So, Paul's going to explain to us in chapter 4 the order of sequence for the not yet Christian. Okay? This is the progression of how the old self works in relation to its creator. So look at verse 17. Now, I say this to testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. And now he's going to explain how they walk in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because, here's why they're alienated from the life of God, because, step one, stubbornness. Look at the, look at the text. Because they have a hardened, hardness of heart. Because they have a hardness of heart. So it always starts with the old self, and then I shut myself off to God because of stubbornness. Because of stubbornness. That's step one. Now what does that stubbornness create in people? Look at the next verse. Verse 19. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy in practice, every kind of impurity. That stubbornness creates in them a darkness. Their, their thinking becomes futile. Uh, their understanding becomes darkened. And Paul says, and they become ignorant to the way things actually are. So you go, stubbornness leads to darkness. And then as we saw, it leads to death and judgment. Death and judgment, Paul says, is alienation from God. From life with God. So you're stubborn, and it leads to darkness, so you're not seeing properly. It leads to death and separation from a life with God. And all of that process eventually leads to recklessness. The word Paul uses here is callous. He says they become so callous, which is they become so hardened, uh, which is to say they, they have no more sensitivity left in them that they don't even realize the things that they're doing. They don't even realize the practices of sensuality and greed and impurity. You see, because they've got no feeling left, no spiritual feeling left in their fingertips, and so they don't even realize it. And they become reckless. And all of this we might sum up is to say that the old self left on its own is totally depraved. And by totally, I'm not saying that everyone is as rotten. Uh, depravity means uh, torn down from its original intent. But it's not as, as, as rotted out as it could possibly be. Right? We all know plenty of people that have not yet experienced the new self, that are good people, that do great things, that make great music, that make great art, that in many senses are nicer than other Christians that we know. So I'm not saying they're as rotten as they can possibly be, but by total depravity, what I'm saying is that every single part of them is affected by the darkness and the recklessness every part of their life. Their mind is experiencing this depravity. Their will and their desires is experiencing it. Their body is experiencing it. As we all know, death has a perfect record, 100% kill rate. Everyone is, is, is rotting away. So every single part of them is affected by the, the stubbornness that leads to darkness, that leads to death and judgment, that leads to recklessness. Everything is affected. Now, look at what Paul says about Christians. He says, 
in verse 20. But you, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. He's saying, but you haven't been stubborn. You have learned Christ. You have heard of Jesus. You've been taught truth in Jesus. Because you were not stubborn, you had a soft heart, and therefore you were not darkened, and you could see light as opposed to the darkness. And because you could see light and you allowed the light to illuminate, you were alive to God. And because you saw light and were alive to God, you did not become reckless, but you were careful. You were fully sensitive to the things of the world and the way that sin separated you from God. And so you walked in a manner, or you're trying to walk in a manner worthy of the call. So that's the distinction. That's the difference that Paul is making. And so he said, in one sense, this has already happened. In one sense, this has already happened. You are no longer as you were, the old self. You are now living in this new era of the new self. So look at verse 22. He says this, So put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So you think about it like this. this uh, you've got this old self, and Paul says, take it off. Take it off. Put it, put it off. It belongs to that old life, that old way of thinking and acting before Christ appeared to you and changed you. It's like, I just did this this week at the request of my wife. I'm like halfway through it because it's hard for me. I have this great shoe collection. Some of you guys know about my great shoe collection. I'm a lover of shoes, kind of. Shoes are hard to part ways with, right? Because they don't re- you don't really ever grow out of them because it's like no matter how much weight you put on, your shoes still fit pretty much the same, okay? You don't, no belt for your shoes. You don't need that. So it's like, do I really need to throw these away? Those are perfectly good shoes, and my, and, and my wife, Allie, always says to me, well, you never wear those shoes. Why are you keeping them around? Those shoes are a part of your old life. So this can be an example of these great, oh, man, these, like, these great uh, leather shoes, like a light, like a, like almost like a white leather. Very, very nice. Very hip. These used to be my going-out shoes. Back when I was a big-time accountant living in Dallas, Texas, I had my going-out shoes. Uh, wear them to the W Hotel sometimes, saw Charles Owens, no big deal. My buddy got in a fight with him. But these are my going out shoes. I don't wear them anymore. Because Ali says, those are part of your old life. Why are you keeping them around? Paul says, throw them away. Take them off. I think I put them on the other day. I was like, this is ridiculous. I look ridiculous. Why am I <laughs> wearing these shoes? So I'm getting rid of those shoes. Go down to the Goodwill in a few days, and you can find some really good stuff if, you, if you're going out type. Because those are part of my old life. Got to get those away. Take them off. Put them off. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you're not that person anymore. You don't need that stuff. But wait. Why 
Does he have to tell us to lose the old self if we've already experienced the rebirth? This is where it gets a little bit confusing. You see, he says, this is what's already happened, but yet keep taking off those shoes. Keep taking off the old and putting on the new. Why does he have to tell us to do it if it's already happened? This is the interesting part of the Christian life. And it's this. When you become a Christian, when you experience the new birth, when you experience the new self, it actually doesn't mean that the old self immediately disappears. In fact, we live now in a time in which both live in us. The old and the new. Which is why Paul reminds us you have to keep taking off the old and putting on the new. You have to keep feeding the new and putting off the old. Starve it out. Because it doesn't just go away. The old self is still strong. Which is why so many of us think, well, I became a Christian. Why am I still struggling? Maybe it didn't actually happen to me. I mean, I I felt the new life living in me, but now it seems like I've fallen into my old patterns. It's because we're living in the already, but the not yet. We're living in between Christ's first coming and His second coming, which is to say we're living, coexisting with death and sin and evil for now. It hasn't gone away. That's why we feel it. So you say, hopefully that's encouraging for some of you that are struggling with old habits, old patterns, old ways of living. Paul would say, I get that. I struggle with it too. You've got to intentionally put it off. Get it out of the house. Do whatever you've got to do because it's not going away completely. You have to learn to not let it control this new life. So let me explain. Last week I had so much fun buying balloons that I went back and I bought more balloons because everybody loves balloons. Uh, The other reason is there's a guy named George. George, you're not here, are you? George is a guy I invited to Alpha. He didn't come on Monday, so I said, let me think of an illustration that makes me go back to the Red Balloon Company on Capitol Hill so I can invite George again. Well, George wasn't there. He wasn't working today. But Neil was working, and I invited Neil to Alpha. Turns out Neil has the same uh, pair of Durant Warby Parker glasses as me, so we started a conversation. I feel like we had a good rapport. I invited him to Alpha. Pray for Neil. Love Neil. Did a great job. Let me explain to you my balloons. This is going to help you understand how this works. Some of you are wondering, what is this illustrating? It could be illustrating the way the financial plan of Sedaris works. <laughs> That's actually a good guess, and it's kind of related, but not what I had in mind. This is, this is the old self. You see that? It's big, it's powerful, wants to do its own thing. It's the old self. When you trust in Jesus, when you accept Him, when you surrender your life, this is what happens. A new life is born. A new life. You could call this the resurrection life. This is the eternal life that starts right now. As soon as you accept Jesus, it is birthed. You could also call this your heavenly body. Sideris means heavenly body. But look, it's kind of small. 
It's kind of weak. The old self still in many ways dominates. But then you start feeding the new self. You start feeding the resurrection life, the new heavenly body, and it begins to grow. We call this process sanctification. As the new self begins to grow, even though the old self still remains, and it grows some more. You see where this is going. What color is this balloon? Go ahead and somebody say it. (laughs) It's hard to tell. There's actually two balloons here. It looks more blue, in my opinion, but it's supposed to. Come on, Neil. It's supposed to look more blue. Because actually, though the old self is there, the new self has become so robust that when people see me, they say, looks like your balloons change colors. Now look what happens. I'm feeding my new self. I'm in the Word of God. I'm praying. I'm in community. I'm meditating on the Word of God, the truth of God. And the new self grows. And now it begins to dwarf the old self. And the old self begins to shrink. In fact, that's what happens in our life as Christians. It's not just that the new self grows, but actually we begin to starve out the old self. We stop giving it the things that gave it power in life, and it begins to shrink. It begins to lose its power. Until, look, it's just a tiny, insignificant, easily, not always, but usually dominatable part of our life and the new self flourishes and gives glory to Jesus Christ, who we are to represent. It's great, right? But you know what? We never get, no matter how small this balloon gets, we never on this side of the grave or Jesus Christ coming back We never get rid of the old self completely. But on the other side of the grave or Jesus coming back, look, pure, new self. And this is what we live into for the rest of eternity. That's going to be a great day when the remnant of the old self is completely removed and we live fully as God intended and designed redeemed, righteous in Christ. Look at verse 24. The new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's right there. But just so that we're honest, it ain't coming until Jesus returns or He takes us home. So we always got to battle. We always have to be intentional to put off the old and put on the new. Every morning when we get up, what shoes are we putting on? Going out shoes? My working shoes. I mean, it's not wrong to have great shoes. Don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. Okay. So, what does this blue balloon look like in reality? What does this new life look like in reality? Take a look with me now at verse 25. Paul is going to now show us what this blue balloon looks like, and he's going to do it in the way he's just set up, in that you have to put something off and you have to put something on in order to become everything that God wants you to become. So watch 
the pairs. There's six pairs in these next eight verses. It says this, verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You see? Put off falsehood. It's a clear balloon. Put on the blue balloon, which is speaking truth to your neighbor. For we are members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. I love that. He's honest. You're going to get angry. There's no such thing as being a human and not getting angry. But when you get angry, do not sin. That's the old self. The new self does this. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. You see how honest and real this is? He's not saying don't ever be angry. He's just saying when, when you get angry, don't sin. And do reconcile with your spouse, with your friend, with your neighbor. Don't even let the sun go down. Reconcile fast. That's what the new self does. It's all about reconciling. Don't give any opportunity to the devil. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal. That's the old self. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. You see, the old self steals and takes. And this happens, don't just think about the shoplifter. This happens when you steal from your boss by not working very hard. Paul says the new self works hard even when nobody's looking because you're working for the Lord. Don't steal. Be a great employee. Work hard. And then, with the money that you make, the new self gives it away. See that? To somebody in need. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Don't be a gossip. But, only such is good for, the build, uh, for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You see, the old self tears people down with words. The new self builds people up with words. Verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't pretend like the Holy Spirit isn't at work in you, that you can't do this. Acknowledge He's there. Acknowledge that He can do anything through you. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. It's the old self. Along with all malice. Put it away. That's old self stuff. New self stuff. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's beautiful, right? You put off the old and you put on the new. You put off the old and you put on the new. I love this. The new is what lasts. <laughs> the new is what walks into eternity. Build it up as much as you can this side. 
of either death or Jesus coming back. That's your job. Build that up and crush that. So here's another way we could say, what does, what does the gate, gate meaning the way I walk, what does the gate look like for this new self? The gate, the new self, longs for the fame of Jesus' name, not for our own name. Do you long for Jesus becoming famous in the city? That's the new self longing in you. The new self feels the pain of sinning against God. As the new self groans against all ungodliness. So as we build up this new self in us, as it becomes more and more a part of our life, actually what's going to happen, just so you know, is you will become more and more aware of your sin. Now hear that again. As you grow more and more into the image of Christ, you will feel like you're sinning more. And you will wonder, is something wrong with me? Why am I sinning so much more? Chances are, you're probably not. Because what does Paul say? When you're living in the old self, you don't even realize. You're calloused. You have no sensitivity. You don't even realize you're sinning. But when you're in the new self, you realize just how far you have to go. The Apostle Paul, who probably had the biggest blue balloon of anybody maybe that's ever lived, he called himself the worst of sinners. And he recognized his own sinfulness because he had become so close to Jesus that next to Jesus, his balloon felt so small and insignificant, which it was. And he felt his sin. You should be more worried if you feel like you're doing a great job. If you're like, man, I've been doing pretty good lately. Uh, watch out. Because you've lost your sensitivity, which means maybe you're not feeding the new self and you've sort of put on those old shoes. The new self starts to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And you get joy out of looking like Jesus Christ. So say somebody stops you on the street or a friend tells you, man, you stopped going to church here. Starting to sound a lot like Jesus. That should bring you so much joy to be mistaken for Jesus. It's the greatest compliment to the new self when you hear somebody say, You look like Jesus. If you don't like that compliment, if that scares you, you're living in the old self. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was a count, this is back when I was wearing my going out shoes, uh, I had long hair, beautiful hair, like Grayson's, just not as red. And I used to tell people, if I'm ever out at a bar and, I, and somebody asked me, what do you do? I would always ask them, what do you think I do? And I used to tell my accounting friends, if anyone guesses that I'm an accountant, I will walk in the next day and quit accounting. That was my rule. I was a, I was a sinful man, an old, old self. That was my rule to myself. If somebody recognized, or somebody guessed that I was an accountant, I was the old self coming out in weird ways. In fact, it happened one time. I was sitting at a friend's desk, and one of the partners instant messaged him. This is a thing. 
Do they still do that? Instant message? Message? Instant messaged my buddy and said, who's that guy sitting with you? He needs a haircut. (laughs) I quit the next day. Okay. No, I didn't quit. I've changed, though. In fact, just a few Christmases ago, I got some socks from my mother. And she gave me these socks. And I looked at these socks. I said, these are pastor socks. (laughs) Thanks for the pastor socks. But you know what? I wear those socks. Because I am not ashamed of being a pastor. In fact, sometimes I ask people when I'm out, what do you think I do for a living? And you know what? If they said, you know, you look like a pastor to me, I would be so excited. Thank you. I must look a lot like Jesus. Thank you for noticing that I'm a pastor. You see how I've changed? The new self is now stronger than the old self. And finally, let me say this. The new self surrenders all. The new self surrenders all. What do I mean by all? Everything. I mean all. Every single part of my life, I surrender to the cause of Christ. It means all. If I'm living fully into my new self, more like this, I surrender all things to the cause of Christ. My comfort, my pleasure, memorable experiences, my money, my life, all to the cause of Christ. Nothing is off limits. Jesus doesn't say, well, I just want this part of your life and you can have these. As the new self grows, every single part of my life surrenders to the cause of Christ. All of it. And I can do that because I know that Christ surrendered all for me. He held nothing back. He gave everything on the cross for me. Who am I to hold back from Him for His causes? when I am His cause. Would you pray with me?